Amen. I've got to ask as we get started, just trying to find motive this morning for why you're at church. How many of you are here because Epic has great AC? Anybody? How many of you came to the 930 service, went outside and came back to 11 o'clock? I mean, there are a few things that would make you want to sit through my talk twice. I totally understand that. But if you're like me, anybody else have trouble sleeping last night in the heat? Anybody? Seriously? You see, when I find myself in common, having something in common with many people in the room, I can kind of like, we can kind of play into that. But if there's six of us, no, they're just, you know, we need therapy and the rest of you are doing just fine in life. But I, do you guys know anything about me? I don't enjoy the, the heat. You know, I grew up in places where it was hot. That's why I left. Uh, the, starting the church was secondary to why I came out to San Francisco. Uh, so uh, this climate change thing, I don't know if I can even stay around if this thing continues to trend upward like it is today. Um, Today we are starting this brand new series. The series is called Starting Point. And what I want to just begin by asking in this introductory message is, where do you begin? Where do you begin when it comes to your approach to relationships? Where do you begin when it comes to how you make decisions or the identity that you've assumed for your own life? Where does that start? Where do, where do you begin when it comes to how you think about your career and your work life? Where do you begin when it comes to how you use your time and your money. And I would assume that if we're sitting down over lunch and I'm asking the same kind of question, you're like, Ben, it depends on what area of life you're talking about. Well, if you're talking about my work life, here's kind of the basic premise that I live with. If you're talking about how I do relationships, this is my philosophy. If you're talking about time and money, here's how I think about my usage of those things. And my guess is that however many questions I would ask you, I would get at least that many different starting points for your life. But let me ask you this. What if we could simplify things a bit this morning? What if we could actually clarify our starting point in life and come up with just one place to start, no matter what the topic is, no matter what area or arena of life we're talking about? What if you and I could not say get it easier, but what if it could be simplified and clarified in our minds so that we have this one place where we start? And it doesn't matter if we're talking big, small, public, private, family, work, relationships, identity, purpose, mission, whatever. What if we, wouldn't that be cool just to have one place to start? And so it didn't matter. Because I don't know about you, but do you ever see people, not yourself, but do you ever see other people make decisions in their life? You're like, how did they get there? Anybody else? Never yourself, right? Me either. Like I, but for other people, I'm like, how did you make that decision? No, I actually, I do see it in my life. And what I'm hopeful to do with this series is that you and I could find a clarifying point to start with, no matter what the topic is. So here's the idea. 10-week series. We're going to go all the way up until the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Today is an introduction. And then we're going to get real specific with things over the next nine weeks. We're going to talk about our identity. We're going to talk about how we think about being citizens of the kingdom of God and citizens of San Francisco or wherever you call home. We're going to talk about marriage and sexuality. And I'm I'm going to be sick on those days. But... um, uh, my, my last minute substitute is going to be awesome with those subject matters. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about surrender. We're going to talk about mission and purpose behind our lives. And so what I want to do today is just lay out an introduction, really a reference point by saying there's a way I think we can get all of this clarified if we could just have one starting point when it comes to everything. 
For most of us, this will be a reminder, but if you've never heard this, the movement of Jesus gets started in the first century by him really talking about a starting point. He wanted to give an invitation. He wanted to give a directive. And so in the first century, he approaches some men initially, then ladies later on. He approaches some men, and he really just gives them this invitation or this directive about a starting point for their life. He uses two words. What are they? Follow me. Follow me. Now, I'm not saying to do that in every area of life is going to be easy. But what Jesus does when he bursts onto the scene in the first century, he lives in obscurity for a while. He turns about 30 years of age and then he begins to make this invitation. And it's not to the people he talks to. It's not follow me, comma, unless it gets in the way of what you want to do with your life. It's not follow me except for these areas. It's just follow me, period. Isn't that simple enough and yet difficult enough? Because I think today in history, uh, unlike any other time in history, we have more options and opportunities for starting points in our lives than we've ever had before. There are more books, of course, now, just because of history itself, there are more books that have been written up to this point in history that are available to you, whether it be on Amazon or at a bookstore, whatever the case may be, more books than ever. There are more religions than there have ever been in the history of the world. There are more ideologies, philosophies. There, uh, there, there are all kinds of things can be and have been dreamt up by people. And so you have more options for starting points in any area of your life, and me too, than we've ever had before. But what if, what if there could be this clarifying place to start no matter what? What if we could understand what Jesus was after with his very first words he ever uttered to some guys? It's like, that doesn't make sense. Can you imagine someone coming up to you in this city? They don't know you. They see you and they're like, hey, so-and-so follow me. And you're like, where? They're like, period, follow me. Just follow That'd be weird, right? Now, we live in a city where that's more likely than other cities for someone to come up to us and ask us to, to follow them. But this is how Jesus gets it going, gets it, gets it going. And what he's trying to do, I think, is just to clarify that there can be a brand new starting point for anyone who would come to him and accept the invitation and the directive to make him the starting point of all things. But where do we begin with this thing on Jesus? I mean, how do we get to the first century where you have a Jewish man going up to other Jewish men saying, follow me? I want to show you where this all begins in the very beginning. This isn't our main text, so just watch it on the screen. But the very first words of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1 start this way. And then, and then we'll get into our main text. Some of you are like, Ben, I, I need to know what's coming ahead. Okay, John chapter 1 is where we're going to, going to go mainly. But here's where we're starting. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, here's what it says. Where it all begins, the starting point for everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God begins everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo. God creates something out of nothing. And what he begins to create, he does so by speaking. And so God speaks. This is a starting point for history. It's a starting point for creation. God speaks. 
And he continues to speak. He speaks to Noah about building a boat because he's about to wipe out most of mankind. He speaks to Abraham about go and leave the place you've known forever and go to this distant land that I'll show you some other time. He, he speaks to us by giving us the law. Who does he do that through? Moses. And then he speaks to his people through the prophets, major prophets and minor prophets. God uses the prophets to be his mouthpiece. And so he's spoken through creation. He's spoken through the law. He speaks through the prophets. And then God appears to go radio silent for about 400 years. Is he ever going to say anything else? And if so, how's he going to do it? He's done it through creation. He's done it through the law. He's done it through the prophets. And if you have a Bible, I want you to see John chapter 1 when God speaks again after a 400-year absence. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. You can follow along. For the rest of you, hopefully you have an app or you've got, uh, you know, if you're self-righteous like me, you've got an actual hard copy of the scriptures this morning. John chapter 1, I want us to see, like, how did we get... To this place where Jesus shows up saying, follow me. And how does this link between what we just saw in Genesis 1 with John chapter 1? So stand with me. I want to look at the first five verses of John chapter 1. And then what I want to do is pick it up in 14 through 18. And again, the thing we're asking today in this introductory message to the starting point series is what if we could just have one starting point for all of life? What would that clarify for us? And by the way, we've got lots of good artist circle seats right here at the front. Okay, so if your friends come in, you don't want them to sit by you. We've got lots of space for them right here. There's a fee involved, but John 1, 1. See the similarities between Genesis 1 and John 1. In the beginning, sounds familiar, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, and the John he's speaking of now is John the Baptist, not himself. John the Baptist bore witness about him, that's Jesus, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Starting point. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Anyone confused yet about what this word guy is and he, him, who it belongs to? Have a seat. Let's sort it out. Again, asking the question, what if there could be one clarifying starting point for my entire life? John 1 begins exactly how Genesis 1 began. In the beginning. And they're referring to the same beginning. In the beginning. And what John tells us is that in the beginning, someone known as the word was there. Like, Ben, who is this mystery guest? The word, it literally in Greek, it means that the word is the logos. Um, it's the self-expression of God is what he's saying. This was the word, the, and, you, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment, that the word was with God, all right? So there's a distinction between Jesus, the Son, God the Father. The word was with God, but the word was God. So right now he's saying Jesus was there from the very beginning, and from the very beginning, he's always been God. He doesn't, he doesn't become God. See, some of us, when we celebrate Christmas in a few months, anyone already playing Christmas music? 
that would admit it in church. All right, just come on, keep it up. Two, okay, at our house, my wife's not in here, so it's not nearly as funny as it was last service. Um, at our house, what happens is um, October 1st, she's al- we're allowed to, um, all six of us are allowed to play Christmas music that's just instrumental. Okay? October 25th, she can add, we, we can add lyrics to our Christmas music. And so, um, and, and then even with that, like lots of love that I give to her in that way, she still starts earlier. She cheats, um, depending on what her mood is. Um, you know, she lights a certain candle, plays Christmas music, and um, there it is. But when we think about Jesus showing up, many times we think about Christmas as the idea of Jesus is sort of like, this is the first time he busts onto the scene of creation or onto history. And what John is telling us is that, no, that isn't true. Jesus is the starting point of history. And he goes on to say, all things were made through him. And if we didn't catch that, he says, there's nothing that's ever been made that was made without him. You ever change it up just to make your point strong? Like you're trying to win an argument with a friend? So John's like, listen, I want to tell you, if you're not so smart, here's the first one. Everything was made with Jesus. And in case you didn't get that, nothing has ever been made that was made without Jesus. He's saying Jesus is the starting point for all of creation, for all of history. Then he gets to verse 4, and he said, in him was life. He's now saying Jesus is the starting point for all of life. And then he gets to verse 5, and he says that Jesus is the light of the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you remember what Genesis 1-3 said? What, what did God very first say? Let there be light. John is basically playing off the same idea of what we see in Genesis. And he's saying the very first thing Jesus came to do and to show was light, to show us the light that finds itself into our darkness. So Jesus is the starting point for all of history. He's the starting point for all of life. He's the starting point for all of creation. Why wouldn't we make him our starting point for everything in our lives? What's your starting point? If you go down to verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Jews would have understood this language. That the idea here is that Jesus came and tabernacled among us, or in a way that's a little more familiar, though still vague to us city people, or the ones that we pretend like we're city people at least, right? Anybody, like, you're kind of a little self-righteous because you're a city person? Anybody? The truth be told, you've found the Safeway in Diamond Heights with 200 parking spots, but you tell your friends other places, like, yes, I'm a city girl. Moms, anybody? Anybody know about this Safeway? You need to. You need to. I'm not a salesman or the son of a salesman. But anyway, um, when we think about Jesus' existence, the idea is that he came and pitched his tent among us. That he came to have something in common with us. That he didn't, as his starting point, though he could have asked us to adjust to his ways, instead of asking us to adjust, who does the adjustment? Jesus does. Jesus adjusts to us. Jesus becomes like us. God, when he wants to speak in the loudest, clearest way possible, he no longer does it through creation. He doesn't do it through the law this time. He doesn't even do it again through a prophet. He does it through Jesus. Jesus, the starting point for all of life. Look at what verse 18 says. It says, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side... He, that pronoun is for Jesus, has made him, God, known. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. 
The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known that Jesus is coming to show us what the starting point of God is, and it's Jesus. History's starting point is Jesus. Now, he says something in the middle of this text in verse 14 at the end. He says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. In verse 17, he says the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What does this mean? Grace and truth. Like Ben, was he 50% grace and 50% truth depending on the situation? No, what John's telling us is that he was fully grace and he was fully truth. In fact, we think about truth as a person. That truth isn't just some uh, objective. It's not just a, a fact. It's just not what's real. But we think about truth being Jesus himself. Full of truth and yet full of grace. What does this look like? Well, here's what it looks like. Truth is saying, here's the life I've created you and desire you to live. Grace is, hey, you're not going to get that right, but I'm going to invade your life with such grace that God will treat you as though you got it right. It's pretty amazing, right? It's like, here's the standard, but I can't just leave you with the standard. Here's grace. And let me tell you, most of us in this room, we lean either towards truth or grace. Religious people, do they lean toward truth or grace? Not, I'm not thinking like Christians, okay? Like just people that are into religion, like obey the law, obey the law. They lean more towards truth. And there are other people who want to be their own God. Where do they lean more towards? Grace. Like it doesn't really matter. But what Jesus does is uphold both of them equally. And what we're trying to do, especially um, from a staff and leadership standpoint in our church right now, is live in the tension of full grace and full truth. And let me be honest with you. It's very, um, it's very hard and it's much more difficult than just choosing one or the other. Have you ever been a part of a church? Don't raise your hand. But have you ever been a part of a church that they were all truth? Like you had to measure up to get in? Like even to sit in here. You ever been in that church where they called out your sin from the stage? Now, for a price, I'll call out your friend's or your spouse's sin from the stage. You ever been in one of those churches? You ever been in that setting? It's all about truth. It's all about can you measure up? Are you good enough? Are you good enough? Are you good enough? But other people lean towards grace with no truth. Have you ever been in a setting where it literally it didn't matter what you did? You could destroy your life and people are going to clap for you? That's okay. What does Jesus do? He chooses both. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Mark chapter 10, there's a guy who's very rich. And he's very good, morally speaking, when it comes to the law. He comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Jesus, what can I do to get eternal life? He's like, there's something missing, but I've got a lot of money, so it's not that. I'm very good morally, so it's not that. But something's off, and I want to make sure that I get in on this eternal life. And I think Jesus just toys with him a little bit. He's like, well, have you obeyed the commands? And at this point, the guy's feeling pretty good. Like, he's going through the checklist. Yes, I've done that one, and I've done that one, I've done that one. Jesus is like, great, but there's just one thing that you lack. And the guy's got to be feeling good, right? I mean, you're go-getters in this room, aren't you? If I told you just one thing you had to do, you would, you would kill it, right? Right away. Jesus says, there's one thing you still have to do. You need to sell everything that you have and give all of your money. To, uh, you need to sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the guy's like, oh, why don't you give me three things that aren't that difficult? I'll do three things. Here's what it says about the text. It says that Jesus loved this man. He offered him grace. He offered him eternal life. But Jesus knew that in this man's heart, he had already chose money and greed as a starting point. And Jesus knew that in order to 
have him answer the directive, follow me, this man would have to displace money as what he was going to follow with his life. And the man understood the invitation. The man understood grace and he understood truth. But the text says for this man in particular, he walked away sad because he had great wealth. What what does he mean? He walked away sad because he couldn't answer Jesus's invitation to follow me because he had already declared what he was going to follow at all costs. What about you? No matter what you call yourself, no matter what I call myself, to say that we're followers of Jesus, but have something else that actually has the lead in our lives, we're not being true to ourselves. And it doesn't really help to fool anybody else either. Grace and truth. I think the most pronounced grace and truth moment comes in John chapter 8. There's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. You're like, Ben, I'm not a pastor. What does that mean? It means exactly what you think it means. Everybody clear? Production, can we show them a description? Just kidding, just kidding. We have no graphic. She's caught. <laughs> Anybody else's heart racing? Mine's not. I knew, of course, these guys, they'll find an envy like, oh my gosh, the worst. Thank you guys for not going with that. Um, she's caught in the act. And so can you imagine the shame? It's incredibly shameful if your stuff gets found out in a week from now, a month from now, or a year from now, right? Shame. She's caught in the act likely brought in and whatever the attire or lack of attire she has in the moment. She's brought into this moment by the scribes and the Pharisees. Again, the religious people who, when it comes to truth and grace, which one do they care about only? Truth and only their version of truth. No people like this. So they bring this woman before Jesus, not really to make it about the woman, but to make it about Jesus. They have finally figured out the test that will declare, is Jesus a truth guy or is he a grace guy? We're going we're gonna to bust him. He's going to have to fall on the truth side or he's going to have to fall on the grace side. But this is one of those moments he can't fall on both because the law says, by virtue of her sin and crime, she's punishable by death, by stoning. Let's see which one he chooses. I love it. Jesus begins to write something on the ground. If anybody tells you they know what it is, they're lying to you. I don't know. But one by one, by what Jesus is doing... The condemners, the one who are accusing this woman, they begin to walk away one by one by one by one. Suddenly, all you have is Jesus left with this woman. And Jesus says this to the woman. Is there anyone here to condemn you? She's like, no, sir. He says, neither do I condemn you. What grace? Can you imagine how much condemnation she would have had in her life? Shame would have just resided over her. And Jesus says, listen, this might blow your mind. I know what the law says. And I am saying to you, no condemnation. It's what Paul wrote about in Romans 8, 1, where he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're sitting in shame this morning, if you haven't just, if you've only been attuned to the truth of what God wants in your life and you haven't lived up to it, A, welcome to the club we're all sitting in. B, welcome to grace. I do not condemn you. But in the same sentence, you know what Jesus says? Now go and leave your life of sin. See, it's messy when we uphold grace and truth. Jesus gives grace, no condemnation. But what else? I care deeply about how you live. So go and leave this thing that's destroying your heart and your body and your life. Creation starting point is Jesus. History's starting point is Jesus. Life itself finds its starting point in Jesus. Why would you want to build your life on any other starting point? 
because Jesus is the starting point for all things, here's our vision statement at Epic. I want you to say it with me, class. Come on. The vision of Epic Church. Awesome job from memory. I assume the production team did not put that on the screen. And I just want to say congratulations. Three years we've been trying to beat this into you and you've got it. Or did they put it on the screen? Somebody like Ben, I'm not, I did not say it. I am not cheating. I haven't learned it, but I'm not cheating. The reason why this is our vision is because Jesus is the starting point for all things. So we want to say, quit compartmentalizing your lives. Quit making a distinction between the sacred, what you do on Sundays, and the secular that you do every other day of the week. And say, why can't all of life be sacred? You're like, Ben, do I have to read the Bible and pray 24 hours a day? No, don't miss the point. Go do your job as though it were sacred. Go enter into relationships with your neighbors as though it was sacred. Enjoy having people around your table because that is sacred. Jesus is a starting point for all things. And let me give you some reasons Paul gave the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1. Let me, let me tell you where Paul just piles on, where Paul just piles on the reasons that Jesus is a starting point, okay? Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. And I'm just going to insert the word starting point where I think Paul's making that point. Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, starting point, of all creation. For by him all things were created. All things have their starting point in Jesus. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before, starting point, all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head, starting point of the body, the church. He is the beginning, starting point, the firstborn. Starting point from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, which means he surpasses all in worth and value. For in him all the fullness, how much? All of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Convinced yet? He's the head, he's the beginning, he's preeminent, he's first, he's the firstborn. Why? Because everything has its starting point in Jesus. And because this is true, it's time for us to start aligning our lives to its reality. So what's your starting point? And here's what we have to know. If Jesus is the starting point for all of life, then it means that we aren't. It means that we aren't the center. It means that we aren't first. It means that we aren't preeminent, that we aren't the most valuable thing in the universe. And practically speaking, here's what it means for us. All the areas of our lives where we have the word mine written over it right now, we need to scratch it out and write the word yours and try to open-handedly submit that stuff to God. So where in your life is mine written over? Relationships? Career? Your identity, you get to say, your sexuality, your purpose, how you use your time and your money and your energy and your focus. What needs to make a transition? Because what Jesus is wanting to do for us, I think through this series, is clarify, hey, what does it look like for you to follow me, period? Not follow me until you find a better offer. Not follow me in everything except your work. Not follow me except in everything or in everything except your identity. What does it look like for him to be the starting point for all things? 
for all things. You know, there are so many stories in the Bible about how people began to follow Jesus, and they're very unique. Some were men, some were women. Some were old, some were young. Some had to leave their professions to follow Jesus. Some had to leave a lifestyle to follow Jesus. But here's what all of those had in common. For everyone who took the invitation and directive of Jesus, follow me, they all had to leave something. There's never been anyone who answered that directive from Jesus that didn't have to walk away from something else. For Peter and Andrew, they left their fishing nets. For James and John, they left the boat and they left their father. For the woman in John chapter 8, she had to leave her life of sexual sin. For Zacchaeus, he had to leave his life of greed. For Paul, he had to leave his life of being so consumed with religion. If you're going to follow Jesus with your life fully, what are you going to have to leave? And some of you, because you're so achievement-oriented, you're like, Ben, I'm going to be the first person ever to follow Jesus and a few other things. I'm going to follow Jesus fully, but also do a few other things. And Jesus is going like, no, that's not the point. It's not follow me, comma, except. It's not follow me as long as. It's not follow me, but. It's follow me, period. It means I wake up tomorrow as I think about my work. How do I follow Jesus in this? It means... I think about my relational situation right now, and I'm asking, what does it look like to follow Jesus in this? It means that I look at my bank account, and it's no longer, hey, what do I want? What do I think? What would be best? It's like, what does Jesus want me to do with this? He's wanting to clarify it for you. He's wanting to clarify it for me, and I, and I, hope, that we'll let him, I hope that we'll let him do that this morning. Let me show you one thing about how we begin this starting point with Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 12, same text we've been in this morning. Here's what John said. But to all who did receive him, receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you enter the starting point with Jesus? Receive him as he is, as the starting point in history and creation and life itself and of your life. You know, if what John's telling us is true, here's what it means. No one in this room was made apart from Jesus. And if what Paul's telling the Colossians in chapter 1 is true, here's what it means. Not only were you created by him, but you were created, what else? For him. You're like, Ben, uh-uh. I was created for this historic moment in Silicon Valley. Well, if that's where he leads you as you follow, awesome. But Paul says to the Colossians, you were made by him and you were made for him. I don't know how that sits with you this morning to hear you were made for Jesus. You were made by Jesus. But Paul also told the Colossians, although he's the starting point, he is laying down his life to reconcile you to God so you can have a relationship with God as though you've never done anything wrong. Do you have people in your life that hold your past against you and never accept you fully? Well, Jesus cares about truth and grace, that we live a certain way, but because of his grace, he's made a way for us to meet the standard of God. Have you ever received that? Have you ever started a relationship with God? How do you do that? Receive who he is, trust in his name, and accept the invitation as a son or daughter of God. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus in the room, let me ask you this. What are the areas in your life where he isn't the starting point? And let me insert, oh, by the way, none of us have this down pastor doesn't have this down. Our staff doesn't have this down. Our top leaders in the church don't have this down and you don't have it down. Like Ben, how do you know? 
had a meeting with a lady in our church a couple weeks ago, Shauna, my wife and I did, and she was talking about a church she used to go to. And she was like, the pastor said, since he became a Christian, he hadn't sinned and it had been over 40 years. I was like, how much money did you give that guy? Like, that's crazy. None of us have this down. That's why this church was birthed. That's why our vision statement is what it is. What about you? What's your starting point in life? Would you pray with me this morning? If you've, if you've never started a relationship with God, I want to invite you into that this morning. Man, if history starts with Jesus, if life starts with Jesus, if creation starts with Jesus, why are we trying to come up with so many other things to start with? Next Sunday, we'll have an opportunity for you to experience baptism. If you've never declared that starting point in your life, I'd love for you to mark that on your card or let one of us know today. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into this time of communion where we're going to invite you. We've got a table up front, and there's one about two-thirds of the way back. Band's going to lead us in a couple of songs, and you'll be able to come to the table. It's just a reminder that Jesus says, take this bread. It's my body that's been broken for you is represented in this bread. And dip it in the cup, the cup representing the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. Because without the shedding of his blood on the cross, you and I would have no chance of having a starting point with God. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I pray that you'd help keep our hearts attuned and our minds focused on what you want to do in these moments. God, I pray for the people in this room who've never even considered you becoming their sole starting point for every area of life. I pray they would see your grace and your truth this morning. And then, God, I pray for everyone who would genuinely say, like, I'm a follower of Christ, but he isn't my starting point when it comes to my work, or he isn't my starting point in my relationships, or how I use my time, or how I think about my identity primarily. Jesus, I pray that you would shift some things for us this morning. I pray that you would become a starting point for all things, all areas, and that you would... Just simplify things for us. You would clarify, not make it easy, but you would clarify that we don't have to look all these other places. We look to you for all things, every area of our life. We want to worship you now. We want to tell you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your death that puts us, it gives us the ability to have the starting point with God. I pray that many would receive that in this moment, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.